Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen, and we're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, and we're streaming at WCEV1450.com. For those of you who are new to the Radio Islam family, welcome. You can keep up with us by following and liking our pages on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours at, at Radio Islam USA. It's that simple. Family, September 9th marked the 10th anniversary of the passing of America's Imam, Imam Morth Dean Muhammad. The management of material and spiritual concerns is only possible for us, we, we might think we are being successful, is only possible for us if we have something directing us, a deciding authority in our life, uh, the, an authority in our life that decides everything else. The only successful ones will be those who, ha- who acknowledge an authority in, our, in their lives above everything else. If, you, if you're not acknowledging any authority in your life above everything else, you're going to be a failure. Born Wallace Delaney Muhammad, October 30th, 1933, in Hamtramck, Michigan, the seventh son of Elijah and Clara Muhammad, Wallace would later on take the name of Dean Muhammad, meaning inheritor of the religion of Muhammad. In 1975, he would be unanimously selected to lead the Nation of Islam following the death of his father, becoming Supreme Minister, a title he would later on replace with Imam. Under his leadership, sweeping reforms took place, from changing the name of the organization to a change in dress codes, removing restrictions on white worshipers joining prayer services, and of course, a change in theological understandings. Well, the major, I would say the, the most uh, profound change that was made was uh, the change in the belief that God is uh, black or manifest in black flesh and that the devil is white or manifest in Caucasian flesh. This was, uh, I believe, the uh, most disturbing change, if I could put it that way, the most disturbing change that have taken place. Uh, but it has been in accord with the direction, if not with the teachings of Arm Elijah Muhammad, that change was in accord with the direction of Arm Elijah Muhammad because he has, he, uh, pardon me, gradually uh, influenced the thinking of the membership in that direction. And it is definitely, as you, all of you will uh, recognize that it is definitely in accord with the Quran, the book that the Honorable Elijah Muhammad established in the nation of Islam as the supreme guide, the supreme guide for the for the organization. What are your feelings then toward integration? Integration? Well, we we hate to think of ourselves as separatists or integrationists. We like to think of ourselves as just human beings. Imam Muhammad would lead the largest mass conversion into traditional Islam in the history of the United States. This conversion, consisting almost exclusively of the descendants of enslaved Africans in America, brought along with it 
a strange sense of belonging, and Imam Muhammad introduced a reimagining of what it meant to be black and Muslim in America. Imam Wardi Muhammad, America's Imam. Imam Wardi Muhammad, early in his leadership, picked up the American flag and claimed his allegiance and citizenship. It was very unpopular at that time in the Nation of Islam. Uh, an American flag had been put down as a symbol of injustice. But Imam Wardi Muhammad, knowing that in order for the African-American to advance, he had to claim his citizenship. And it was a citizenship of responsibility and also a citizenship to contribute to the advancement of the United States of America. Imam Wardi Muhammad also started what is known as New World Patriotism Day on the 4th of July, establishing a new idea of patriotism, not a patriotism of my country, right or wrong, but a patriotism of my country to lead it in the right direction. Warthadin Muhammad was referred to as America's Imam by members of his community. The reason, one of the reasons we attempted to do that and put that, that label on us, fix that label to him was that having just left the shadow and the statue of the Nation of Islam, it was important to demonstrate to people who he was. If he was not the minister of the Nation of Islam, as the country had come to know it, who was he? And the members of his imam board came upon this title of America's imam. Uh, most people outside the community didn't have a clue of what that would, would mean. It may not have been apparent to America at the time, or even to those who looked to him for leadership, exactly what it meant to be America's imam. But it would become more and more apparent that his leadership would move outside the walls of the masjid and have an increasingly significant impact on Americans of other faith traditions as well. It's especially easy for me to think about Imam Muhammad as uh, America's Imam due to his interfaith discourse, um, his collaborations with the Focolari, other Christians and Jews, um, even his teachings to us about our obligations to our neighbors and the scores of non-Muslims who call him their Imam uh, provide sufficient evidence to me that he is uh, America's Imam. But there's also the way he talks about humanity in terms of our relationship to Allah. He's often said uh, that God created people to be a community, and it is only in community where you get your full freedom to live out your capacity or your ability as a human being. So he's telling me that community and freedom and our ability to embody our fullness as humans are tied together. He's also uh, stated that we have to accept the unity of the human family, man or humanity, 
has progressed socially and materially on this earth with the position now, globally speaking, that we cannot accept to ignore other, um, other nations and peoples. So his realization that community goes far beyond our association as Muslims, uh, the Muslim Ummah, and it reaches out to believers and non-believers because we are the human creations of Allah and we have an obligation and responsibility to each other. In 1978, Imam Muhammad gave an address um, before more than 1,000 Jews and Muslims. I felt like that was the beginning of opening so many doors. And in November 1999, he attended a World Peace Conference that was overseas. He was just all about the human race. So I feel like he's the prime example um, and role model of breaking bread with people of other religions. So he opened up the door to say that it's okay to sit down with the Muslim and us actually exchange conversation in a peaceful manner. We're looking at the legacy of the leadership of Imam Muafadi Muhammad through a few different questions and points, uh, different, different voices. And the voices that we're hearing from are Deborah Majid, Kyle J. Ismail, Rabani Mubashir, Halima Muhammad, Bashir Assad, and Frederick Valfir Aldin. Not exactly in that order, but the points that we're covering. Number one, being referred to as America's Imam. Number two, Imam Muhammad as an intellectual. Three, the defining characteristics or moments of his leadership. Four, what other religious leaders should take from the title Spokesman for Human Salvation. Number five, Imam Muafadi Muhammad's role in promoting interfaith dialogue. And last, asking the question, why future generations need to know about him. So Imam Muhammad, uh, as an intellectual, I think that uh, one of the special things about Imam Muhammad is that as an intellectual, he was not somebody who studied at Ashar. He was not somebody who studied at the University of Medina. He took classes in different places, but he was not like his brother who went to Azhar or what have you, uh, like Dr. Akbar. May Allah have mercy on him. Uh, he was an organic intellectual. And he um, he was a common man. And he was not some he was not an academic. And so not having been trained and not being an academic but it's still engaging in very profound and esoteric thinking. He was a very, he, he represented that the common person, he, he Muhammad was a welder by trade. You know, he wasn't someone who, um, you know, beyond basic training and, you know, he sat with, you know, Dr. Jamal Diab, you know, a, a teacher for many years for probably the better part of a decade, if not more. So he had learning and formal learning and, and, and access to information and knowledge and people with, of knowledge. So, but as an intellectual, he was a free thinker, and and because he didn't come from this sort this sort of background, he really felt free to engage in a, in a, in a very natural way um, with knowledge and interpretation and understanding, and that was reflected in his language. That was reflected in his uh, always trying to craft language. His his uh, intellectual development had to do with being in touch and in tune with the Quran and um, 
as I said, he tried to teach us at some point by looking at the meaning of the Arabic letters as they were by the, stood by themselves and joined together to make words. He saw a lot of uh, information in, in, in looking at that um, aspect of the religion. Reflecting on Imam W.D. Muhammad as an intellectual, as a student at the American Islamic College, I encountered the works of many scholars who expressed their appreciation for Imam Muhammad's intellectual abilities. Many papers have been written acknowledging the very sophisticated methodology he employed in bringing about a transformation of the nation of Islam. One such work is by the author and scholar Edward Curtis, who referred to the feet of Imam Muhammad in demythologizing the teachings of its founder, W.D. Farad. The systematic and strategic replacement of those mythological teachings was achieved by the Imam while yet inspiring a new interest and zeal for a more correct spiritual and rational religious language. Imam Muhammad achieved this goal without sacrificing a sense of the importance for material needs and the personal obligations that each of us have as individuals. Secondly, I would have to note Imam Muhammad's intellectual superiority as he engaged very sensitive in the most difficult issues such as images and religion, origins of race consciousness, the role and the value of the human intellect in religion, the creative potential of the male and female, and particularly the enhanced role of women in society, among others. Imam Wadi Muhammad's focus was too to reconcile with the Muslim world, Western democracy, with the principles of al-Islam. The defining moment or characteristic of Imam Wadi Muhammad's leadership is seen as a mujahid to the correction of the nation of Islam's understanding of al-Islam and to the worldwide community of Islam at large, which also gave correction and insights to both the Christians and Jews. Imam Wardi Muhammad's role in interfaith dialogue began with the premise that all men belong to one common humanity. We all are created by one and the same creator, and in our beginning, we were one family. The three major religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Al-Islam, recognized the prophet Ibrahim as the foundation prophet of their religious beliefs. He pointed out that in Quran that Allah instructs us that Islam is not a new religion, it comes, but comes or evolves from the previous prophets chosen by Allah to give guidance to mankind. As a result of these commonalities, the religious community should be able to address our common problems and come to equitable solutions. Imam Wardi Muhammad suggested to religious leaders of all faiths that they consider not stressing their narrow religious preferences and focus on the salvation of humanity. Imam Wardi Muhammad was characterized as the Imam for human salvation. At one university, the professor who was introducing Imam Wardi Muhammad to the audience asked Imam Wardi Muhammad, how should I acknowledge you? Should I introduce you as Dr. Imam Wardi Muhammad? 
Imam Wardi Muhammad told the professor, I do not have a doctorate degree. The professor replied, I know a doctor when I hear a doctor, and you are a doctor. He believed Allah was the one and only true God, and Muhammad was his messenger. He studied the Quran and wanted to teach the Quran. My friends and I used to call him the walking holy Quran. He would act, we would ask him a question and he would tell us, Allah spoke on this in the Quran. And he would tell us where to find that in the Quran where Allah spoke on it. He did his best to live by the holy Quran. And for that, I feel like that was his defining moment of him being in leadership. And he was a person for human salvation because um, he lived by the, tried to live by the book he believed in. He tried to walk, talk, and speak the Quran. And um, therefore, um, other people who are in the business of being spiritual leaders, religious leaders, can benefit by the fact that that's what he tried to do. He tried to be a model, or an Arabic, an uswa, of what, what he claimed to be. We'll be back in just a moment. We'll take a short break. This is Radio Islam on WCEV 1450 AM. In the streets below, traffic had stopped. Pedestrians were lying on sidewalks and curled up in doorways. There was no sign of violence, no wrecks, nothing like that. It was as if the people in New York had simply decided to stop whatever they were doing and pass out. Ice coated my stomach. The invasion has started. To find out what happens next, read Percy Jackson and the Olympians by Rick Reardon. Explore new worlds and check out more cool books at your local library. And visit read.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Radio Islam, the nation's first daily live call-in talk radio show produced by Muslims for the mainstream market. Radio Islam, on the air since 2004 because of your generosity. Radio Islam salutes its most valuable asset, you, our listener. From our producers to our interns, we appreciate your support. Thank you. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. Remember to keep up with us by following and liking our pages on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours at. You will find us at Radio Islam USA. All right, family, we have been reflecting on the legacy of a true luminary in the Muslim community, the Muslim world, Imam Warthadine Muhammad, whose 10-year anniversary, uh, the passing from this life on to the next, was on September 9th. And we're going to continue uh, in that reflection. We're going to listen to a conversation. 
Uh, we had a little bit earlier with Aisha K. Mustafa. She is, well, I'm sorry, I should say Professor Aisha K. Mustafa. She is not only an assistant professor of mass communications at Tougaloo College in Mississippi, uh, she is also uh, quite notably the editor of the Muslim Journal, uh, an historic African-American Muslim uh, paper. And our conversation centers around some of those same points that we brought up, that we listened to those different voices uh, express uh, different perspectives on. Uh, but we go a bit further in depth that we could only go with someone of the caliber uh, and uh, knowledge base of Professor Aisha. So we're going to get into that now. And you have to remind them, well, Allah has committed the Quran to be translated in how many languages? It's, it's, in, it's in Swahili. Mm -hmm. So evidently, Allah thought that the people who spoke Swahili could also understand the Quran and accept the message. So uh, we have to get, stay away from making ourselves exclusive to God and, and, that, Christ, and that interface dialogue with Nigers was the starting point to stop to stop saying that we are so exclusive that God can't reach anybody else because we are we are the chosen one now. You know, we're we're Muslim Arab speaking people and we're the chosen one. Because Allah uh, come, uh revealed the Quran in Arabic so he didn't mean for anybody else to get it. Right. But, uh so we have to work against those things. And even here in interfaith, you know, Imam Muhammad said, All of us who have Christian families, you're in an interfaith dialogue. All the time. Some people won't go to Thanksgiving dinner, but he told us to go to your Thanksgiving dinners and sit at the table with your Christian brothers and sisters and your mothers and your fathers and have dialogue. And don't let something like a little piece of pork on somebody's plate force you to get it from the table as if you're in scorn. Mm -hmm. He said, go to them and express your, your Islam, your best, uh, and have an interface dialogue with your own family and see how much that would change the landscape. Yeah. So would you say would you say that the movement from well I'm not going to ask you what you would say what would you say um, would be the defining characteristics or or uh, moments of his leadership the defining characteristic of Imam W D Muhammad's leadership yeah for me it was from day one when he took over the leadership from his father. I want to express two things right there. When he uh, took the leadership from his father, it was because his father had set up the Nation of Islam to make, make it conducive. Just for this one boy out of his his uh, eight kids by Clara, it was one that he put a, a, a mark on to be the next leader of this Nation of Islam. And it was the same one who disagreed with him for many, many years. Mm -hmm. Wallace Muhammad, the son, disagreed with his father so much that he was excommunicated from the Nation of Islam twice. Mm. When he came back the third time, uh, he was uh, Wallace Muhammad was always teaching from the Quran. And the people would complain uh, uh, to the Elijah Muhammad that this one he's not teaching what you teach. He's not teaching the lessons. He's not teaching Yaqub's history. And they would take it to the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. And the second time he was excommunicated, his father showed him, "Well, you know what I have to do, right?" And it was just, "Yeah, yeah I gotta go." <laughs> and he, he would say his, his mother walked him to the door mm -hmm. and asked him, Clara, his mother, walked him to the door and asked Wallace the son, why don't you just go back in there and apologize to your father and accept your father 
you don't have to say anything. Just just go back to your father. She was hurt. She didn't want him to go. And he began to question her about the things that he was disagreeing with. One, the concept of fraud being God. Uh, uh, people had began to refer to the Honorable Elijah Muhammad as a prophet. Mm-hmm. And so he he began to question his mother. He would ask her, Mom, when did you hear Farad say he was God? Or when did you uh, think that that this was happening or that was happening? He went through a litany of questions, and his mother couldn't answer him. Hmm. So, uh, so Imam Muhammad he showed a willingness very early on to um, to to display a, a principal posture uh, with regard to whatever consequences um, or you know uh, any outcomes that that may result from him speaking his mind. Uh, but that it seems like that was exactly what the Honorable uh, Elijah Muhammad expected for him to do. Exactly. Yeah. When uh, Farad came to the Nation of Islam, and for people who don't understand our history, then, you know, they're quick to say, oh, the Catholics, the Catholics, uh, anyone who follows down uh, is, is not among us Muslims. You know, we get so pristine and so self-righteous and so purified that we can't, we can't follow our logic. Right. That we actually say it had the hand of God on it. Uh, mm-hmm. Many other people around the world have come to Islam through different channels and different ways, but but when we come back to hear of the black ex-slave coming out of the, out of uh, second-class citizenship and subhuman citizenship, uh, we we lose the connection. Why would God use such tactics or allow such tactics? Well, did nobody else come? Mm-hmm. You know, at the time Imam Muhammad came into office, people were still saying the immigrant quote-unquote community, the taxi cab drivers were predominantly Muslim immigrants, and they would tell their rides, well. I'll take you to the to the loop downtown, but I advise that you don't go towards the west side or the south side. Their one was just don't go over there with them black Muslims and them African Americans. Just stay away. Now there were a few who broke that rule, i.e. Uh, uh, Brother Ndogo, who led the Janazah prayer for Imam Muhammad, was one that broke the rule. Brother Dogo mm-hmm. from Villa Park. Yeah. Who come anyways and sit with Imam Muhammad and also met with Elijah Muhammad before Imam Muhammad came into office. There were people like Dr. Mir Ali and his wife Mary, who broke a rule and came to the West Side to teach Arabic themselves uh, after the leadership of Imam Muhammad took root. But getting back to the transitioning from the Nation of Islam when Imam Muhammad came into office, the groundwork was laid by Elijah for his son to take over. It was not the natural order that Minister Louis Farrakhan be the next leader of the Nation of Islam. It was not. Hmm. Minister Louis Farrakhan never disagreed with the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and still never disagrees with the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Every day Muhammad went against the grain of his father's household in his teaching. But the thing few people realize is that Elijah permitted it to take hold in many different ways. While he was upholding the nation of Islam that he had been teaching for 40 years, he was also laying the groundwork for this boy who was going to go in a completely different direction. And that's what he told them. He told them to be aware that the one that's coming before me will come in with something that you won't even recognize. And he knew it would be Wallace who was coming in with the Quran and the teachings mm-hmm. that his followers may not recognize in its totality. And those who say Elijah Muhammad died of Catholic, were they at the bedside when he died? Right. Were they with him in those last days? 
we say he could not have been a captain. He could not have been holding on to those same teachings and also set up the guidelines and the groundwork for his son, W.D. Muhammad, to come in and change everything in a new direction. All of those followers who had been adhering to the enemy legend Muhammad. So we have to uh, be fair and be circumspect. And if you don't know, you just don't know. But don't crowd and murk the water. We see Elijah Muhammad and everybody get upset. Oh, how can you honor that Catholic? How can you honor that that uh, heretic? Mm-hmm. They didn't know him. Well, then there's also there's also the um, it's kind of like judging judging a history or condition that you have never uh, is judging food you've never tasted. Um, exactly. And and I think that that's one of the the challenges uh, and the. Uh, and within the challenge, there's an opportunity, I believe. As you said, there were people who, who went against this, uh, against this rule that separated immigrant from the indigenous. Uh, and, and because of that, there was an appreciation uh, that was built. There were relationships that were built because of that. So within that, within that example, I think there's also there's an example for, for present and future generations um, to look at. Uh, it's, it's, you can't make judgments on people that you don't know. And, and I, and I've, I've, I've said this before, um, our condition is such, you know, as, uh, as, 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 as black people, as African-Americans is, is such that there have been very few who have come, uh, offering liberation, offering, uh, dignity and opportunity. Uh, and, and we have been on the wrong side, uh, more often than not of abuses of theology uh, that have that have hampered us, that have stopped us from from our development or potential. So, when people look back at what um, uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad did uh, and what the believers at that time were able to uh, to build, not just within the Nation of Islam, those who were members, but those th- those communities that benefited. Outside, those who they were not necessarily, uh, they didn't call themselves Muslims. They were not members in a temple, but the just kind of the the ripple effect of what that did for neighborhoods all across um, uh, communities, all, our communities all across the United States, is something that is not is not really appreciated. It's not. I don't think right. it's studied often enough. It's not talked about often enough, and. Nobody did that. Nobody else came in to do that for us. And, and the immigrant community uh, don't have that kind of appreciation for what took place here. They they don't know about uh, James Brown's song, See It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud, how significant that was. And we Muslims who came out of the experience of the Nation of Islam, we know that James Brown was influenced by Elijah Muhammad's teaching right. of, of uh, the proud black man. Maybe Elijah Muhammad took it too far, but he he was against a raging war. We have to understand the context that Elijah Muhammad's idea came up in, you know. Um, and when he called white man the devil, well, you had to remember what was happening in the South and sometimes in the North, too. Mm-hmm. White people were killing black people, lynching black people, not, not just... Uh, for a crime, this wasn't no sentence that was given out of a court of law and then you strung somebody up. I mean, you know, the KKK was riding through the neighborhood, lynching people, burning crosses, yeah. raping women. I just wanted to iterate that if you are not consciously aware of the 
times uh, that uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad came up in, and the times, in fact, when Farad Muhammad came into this country mm-hmm. as an immigrant, going into what we used to call Black Bottom Detroit. You know, it was the ghetto part of Detroit where the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and his family had migrated from from Sanderville, Georgia, coming out of the, the sharecropper Jim Crow laws of Sanderville, Georgia, into the north, Black Bottom, uh, urban areas of Detroit, struggling. And it was Claire Muhammad who met Farad on the street selling silk. Farad came among the African-Americans in Black Bottom, Detroit, and began to talk to the women with his wares and began to talk to them about where did your people come from? Something that you want to talk in history books coming up in the schools, the public schools of the United States. Where did our black people come from? Hmm. Who were they before they came country? All of that had been subject. So he pricked in them the interest. Go back to your original state where you came from. And it was that kind that she went back home and told her husband, Elijah, you need to go talk to this man. Because he's really talking about our people, where we came from before we became slaves in this country. And it was out of that from Farad to Elijah that gave birth to the nation of Islam. And it was Elijah's desire to help his own people come out of their inferiority complexes, their identity crisis, Mm -hmm. that he began to work with what Farad had left with him to build a new identity in the black community. And one was, you have to be a proud black man. You have to be a proud black woman. You are not subjugated by anyone. You don't step off the sidewalk for any white person. As a matter of fact, if you want to take it to the maximum, you created them. They didn't create you. Mm-hmm. And it was that kind of social reform, and that's what the Imam Muhammad said when he came in. He said, my father wasn't all these other religious titles, but what he was was a social reformer that took on the biggest problem of the black people in a way that had never been addressed before. Other people have tried to address this, the identity crisis of the black man. There was black men's problem for America. Elijah Muhammad took it head on as a social reform movement, and that's what the Nation of Islam was. And from those things, uh, few people appreciate the conditions that we came out of, except for the people who were in those conditions themselves. Hmm. Now, But not only... Not only can you look to um, James Brown and in the in the musical movement and the entertainment movement, but even Jesse Jackson, Reverend Jesse Jackson, with Operation Push himself, would say that he was influenced by Elijah Muhammad's teachings and by W. D. Muhammad's teachings. Tony Brown, the economist, with his economic shows, would say that he looked at the Nation of Islam and the Do for Self movement as as a, a platform for him to build his his business. Uh, uh, prototypes from. And there are others, if they're honest, they'll say, we didn't join the Nation of Islam, but we sure listened to the Nation of Islam. Right. They were definitely influenced uh, and benefited from benefited from that leadership. So... Uh, even to the point of Dr. Martin Luther King himself, hmm. it is a belief that Dr. King would not have been as successful in a nonviolent movement to reform the way African Americans were treated in this country if it had not been for the stick that Elijah Muhammad held in the background. You know, the carrot and the stick 
Yeah. You can go for the carrot. Uh, we had a stick in case you don't move. Yeah. Dr. King was the carrot. Elijah Muhammad was the stick. If you don't want to go in a peaceful reformation with Dr. King, then expect this black movement behind him to be your other alternative. And when you start seeing the FOI, the Fruit of Islam, and that cadence and that margin, and many of them were ex-soldiers, yeah. many of them had come back from war, the Korean War, some of them even World War II, Korean War, Vietnam War, they joined the ranks of the Nation of Islam, and they and they fell lockstep. They said they've been fighting all over the world and came home and couldn't sit to sit down to a, a lunch counter and Woolworths. And they were upset, and they were angry. And for them, the alternative was the nation of Islam. This little short man who would stand up to the white man. But as I remember, wasn't a big in stature, but he had a, a, mm-hmm. a powerful voice. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think? What What are some of the the key things that future generations need to know about? Um, that ne- they need to know about Imam uh, Warthin Muhammad. Because Eli- because the honorable Elijah Muhammad, he laid the groundwork for. Uh, Imam Muhammad to uh, to to continue uh, to move on from not just uh, social reform, but then to uh, reform understandings of uh, of religion as well, uh, understanding uh, reforming understandings of purpose uh, and and potential. So through through that, what do you think the future generations should know about him? They should know that whatever their progress and their success is, they don't have to give up. Their, their ethnic identity to gain their religious identity. They don't have to let one ball drop in order to pursue the other one. You know, like we say, uh, Malcolm, you know, I'm even referring to Malcolm. You can Malcolm used to say, African Americans who get successful and all of a sudden they got to move to the suburbs, be careful about them mm-hmm. because they are separating themselves from the from the broader community. You know, nowadays everybody moves to the, actually, they move you to the suburb and cut off. Transportation back, you know, all Robert Taylor's moved out of Robert Taylor's to the suburbs. Yep. And now they cut off transportation; they can't get back in the city. So it's a different dynamic now. But the point is, once you uh, and we see progress in our, our young Muslims, the the next generation and the next generation, and and uh, uh, Anissa Demar said, really, it's the generation now. You know, mm-hmm. you got forty somethings now. Imam Muhammad was forty three years old. Uh, 44 years old, 42 years old when he came in office. So this this is the generation. But know that you don't have to give up your identity for your ethnic group in order to advance in your religious concept. That is, you don't have to change your appearance. You don't have to change your apparel. Mm-hmm. You don't have to change your quote-unquote culture. Everybody knows that there's a, a lot that can be cleaned up. But you don't have to give up your culture, and you don't have to sever yourself from your past. And that was what Imam Muhammad demonstrated for us. You can be Muslim and still be true and concerned about your own people, and and make sure you're there for them too. You know, and I would I would extend that a little fur- further and say that it also goes back to the the title that he took. And I think this was. This was a challenge. You know, he was throwing down the gauntlet when he says, I'm taking on the title of Muslim American spokesman for human salvation um, and that I am comfortable in my own skin and I'm going to uh, address home first. But I have an eye that is uh, that is or a vision that is big enough to grasp not just what's in front of me, but what's around me as well. So 
Um, I, I think that's one of the really uh, poignant things that, uh, for me, that is that has been really uh, assuring. I mean, and affirming. Yes.
Right. But we say if you pray hard enough, God can lead you out of church while you're still living. Mm, I mean. Mm. I mean. So I, I have to ask you, um, I could not have you on and not talk about um, how the Muslim Journal continues to keep the um, to keep the the word and the the, the legacy of Imam Muhammad uh, alive, and it's something that's been uh, that has been done for I don't know when to start. Maybe you could tell us when it started, but for as far back as I can recall, that there have been excerpts of different uh, addresses that he's given uh, that have been always a part of the journal uh, each issue. You know, going back to Malcolm, we have to remember Malcolm when it comes to uh, newspapers and, and publications and the, and the advent of, of having a news organ inside the, the movement of African-American Muslims. Uh, you can go back further than that with the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, who had different publications before then. Actually, the name that uh, Minister Farrakhan used for his paper now, the final call, that was an early, early name in the 30s or 40s that Dr. Elijah Muhammad used for a magazine he had called Final Call. You know, he was calling his people to the religion, mm-hmm. and this was his final call being made to him. Uh, that was small, and it went from uh, a few publications, but when Minister Malcolm came into the Nation of Islam, he saw the need for a publication. At that time, in the early 60s, that FOI, the Food of Islam, was selling other newspapers because they carried a column by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Pittsburgh Courier, New Amsterdam News would print the column from the Elijah Muhammad. The Food of Islam, the FOI brothers would go out there and get those papers, take them to the street, and sell them on the street on the street corners. Mm-hmm. They were making those papers lucrative because of them pushing them. When Malcolm came in, he made an appeal in the mid-50s to African-American newspapers. He said, I don't care... What paper you read, just read a black paper every week. He said, pick up one, make them strong, put your resources behind them. And he called the mainstream papers downtown, the big papers that were ridiculed and, and sabotaged people. He called them the big guns. He said, when the big guns come for you, make sure you have your guns ready, too. And that was the small African-American papers. He said, keep them <laughs> awed and ready and fully loaded. And that was the small papers. Mm. Then he initiated the... Muhammad speech paper out of New York. Uh, Brother Herbert Muhammad, also known as Jabba Muhammad, moved it from New York to Chicago. That was the newspaper of the Nation of Islam that took the director from Elijah Muhammad. When Elijah Muhammad came into office with the transition that he was making, he tra- he transitioned by gradually changing the message and the facade of many of the things that were once Nation of Islam. So he changed the Muhammad speech paper. There many names first in the Belalian News connecting us with our Africanness that was in the history of Islam because some people say, you know, you're going to that Arab religion. So there were many Africans. And then, as we know, there are more Muslims outside the Middle East, uh, outside Arabs, than there uh, are Arabs. Right. But Imam you know, Muhammad eventually went from Belalian News to Muslim Journal, with a couple of names in between. Right. But it was gradually taking us out of that black nationalist movement. Uh, that that the Muhammad speech really uh, was the champion of, and um, even Dr. Suleiman Name would say about the Muhammad speech, no paper in the United States was talking about the concerns and issues of Africans more than and more profoundly and more forcefully than the Muhammad speech newspaper. Remember, Muhammad brought us 
and to Muslim down to be focused more on our need to champion us right here. Not to, to disconnect us from other countries, but to champion us right here. Right. And the Muslim Journal has followed the guidelines and the it's from Imam Muhammad and carrying us forward. And it it hasn't been easy. Of course, you know, in the in the nation of Islam days there was a quota that brothers took. When you build in the nation, everybody had to had to take part. And if they took so many papers a week, they didn't bring them back. They paid for those mm. papers and, and they had to sell them, but they didn't bring them back. So we don't have a quota anymore. Right. And then we have the, the new um, inventions of the Internet and social media that has also been re resulting in a lot of major newspapers closing. The Washington Post is surviving because it was bought out by Jeff Bezos, who is the owner of Amazon. Uh Another major newspaper, the Village Voice, just folded. Even the Christian Science Monitor, Monitor stopped publishing a paper and just publishes online. Muslim Journal still publishes a weekly issue. And it is not without a lot of sacrifice and a lot of support from people. But we are determined to stay in publication as print and increase our publication online because, again, as, as I mentioned, online internet, social media is quick and fast, but for the life of me, I don't want to close down the guarantee we're getting to the people to to just rely on one that can be manipulated and taken out from under you at any given moment. Right. A, a solar storm on the sun can undermine every network of social media that we have. It doesn't have to be man-made. Mm -hmm. It can be natural events that will circumvent and disconnect us from each other through social media. So it's like somebody needs to have a Ford truck that doesn't have a computer chip in it. So mm -hmm. we say we got to keep one Muslim journal on the ground at all times that can circulate uh, without being uh, disrupted or disconnected by events beyond our control. I know that's right. There's definitely a dependence that comes along uh, with some of these advancements that we that we enjoy. But once they are disrupted, uh, you see the value of you see the value of old school. And we so, don't own them. Yeah. Facebook is owned. Mark Zuckerberg. Mark yeah, Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg. Facebook is owned by Mark Zuckerberg. Mm -hmm. We don't own it. He can shut us down when he feels like it. At any time. At any time, Twitter is owned by another company. Mm -hmm. They give us the ability to use it because it benefits them, but it's not ours, and they can cut us off at any time without notice. Yeah. Tell us about the upcoming. Tell us about the uh, upcoming uh, event that the Muslim Journal is having. Okay. Uh, we have an annual event. We call it a Muslim Journal signature event. And I'm going to kind of give you a feel for how we got started. You know, talking back uh, about how new inventions and new um, innovations have kind of cut into the sales of newspapers in general. Mm -hmm. uh, so we, we, we saw that impact coming in onto the Muslim Journal. And it, it, it was kind of related to, they think that to the day, um, the Model T Ford came 
on the scene. Model T4 was a new invention, and then they began to mass produce. Everybody can get a car now. Model T4. Mm-hmm. But what was that before the Model T4? You had these guys who were selling horses, who were out corralling horses, taming horses, and selling horses. Your mode of transportation was the horse. Mm-hmm. So you wonder, what were they thinking, the horse owners, when the Model T Ford came out onto the scene and, and, and broke into the landscape? They were not happy. And they were not happy, and they saw, they saw the writing on the wall. And some of them, they said, well, what am I going to do now? And a couple of them said, well, I guess I can have me a rodeo. <laughs> we, we will take the best of what we have, our experiences, and, and, and demonstrate that to the world. Now, with the, with the Muslim Journal, um, we felt that we need to move outside of our own locale. But first, we started a, a, a dinner we called A Time to Be Grateful. And we started in Chicago because the struggle you know, is not hard. I mean, it's not easy every year to get a paper out 52 papers a week. I mean, 52 papers a year, one every week. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a struggle, especially when the uh, industry is changing. But we want to expand our grads and remind people, constantly remind people, we have this newspaper here that should be supported. So we started annually with the dinner, a time to be grateful, just to break away from the, the grind of the day, the problems of the day, and say, I'm grateful we made another year. And we did the first five years in Chicago. Our first keynote speaker was Imam Muhammad. Mm-hmm. After Imam Muhammad passed, and the traffic to Chicago by our constituents, our communities, was not as great. People come to Chicago just because Imam Muhammad was there. So we never have that that kind of influence that people were just going to come to us just because we were there. So we started to move from city to city with the Muslim Journal, mainly with those communities that have supported it over the years. And that was a welcoming event because it gave them and their constituents in their area opportunity to participate in an annual event and support the Muslim Journal and also have a way to expose their newspaper to their people who may not have been reading it. The brothers are not on the street on the corners anymore, but the Muslim Journal is coming to town and this is the newspaper and we want y'all to come out and and hear our uh, speakers and and be our awardees and awardees are Muslims and some of them are not Muslims. So we've taken a time to be faithful on the road, and now we're in our 15th year. And this year we will be in Houston, Texas. And Houston, Texas is an area where there are many, many immigrant communities, uh, many, many African-American Muslims, and one of our pioneers settled there, Ibrahim Kamaladeen, who was a pioneer in, in um, production, media production, television, uh, shows, uh, Islamic shows uh, on uh, public access TV. And he's since passed in the community in Houston is, is building a community center honoring him, Ibrahim Kamaladeen, when he came out of uh, Chicago to Houston. When he was in Chicago, Ibrahim Kamaladeen would load up a station wagon of people and take them over to Robert Taylor's home and set up in their community room and just teach Islam to the, the tenants. Mm. Robert Taylor's, whoever will come down in the room. And Robert Taylor's an area that's kind of rough. You know, Robert Taylor had a history, uh, the project had a history of if you call for an ambulance, the ambulance would come, but nobody would get out the truck because they were afraid to go up in the building. Right. 
they wouldn't get out the truck to go in the building to help the sick until the police came. They wouldn't go in unless they had a police escort. So here, here he can never let loading us up on a station bag and taking us to Robert Telephone, and we're going to teach this line in the community center. And mm. he did it many, many years. And then he moved to Houston and he started his, his campaign, his crusade for Islam on uh, public access TV. And his shows ran for many years. So they're been on a community center in his honor. And this year, our, our Time to Be Grateful dinner will be also in honor of him and the work that the Houston Muslims are doing. And it would be December 14, 15, and 16. We've grown from one day to three day, a three-day weekend celebration uh, where we can take in the experience of the local Muslims and have more exposure to them. And people are traveling from all over the country to these locations because mm-hmm. We have a family atmosphere, and we have a, a, a need to support each other. When the nation this one day, it's one thing. One Muslim was doing something, and you know, in one part of the country, all of the Muslims gravitated to that area. We have fill up cars and buses to go there to help those Muslims. And so we want to make sure we keep that that uh, experience and that, that pillar in our community strong, that we will go to each other to support our causes no matter what area in the country you are. And if you want to know more about our time to be grateful, you can go to our website, www.muslimjournal.net forward slash A-T-T-V-G, the time to be grateful. Mm. Well, thank you so much. Um, inshallah, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to make my way there uh, this year. So, uh, Praise be to Allah. But, regret it. Uh, I know I won't. I regret missing it. <laughs> so, uh, Sister Aisha, we really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to share your your, your thoughts, uh, your perspectives with us, uh, and pray for your continued well being and uh, the, the well being of the institution that you have been such a uh, a wonderful steward of, uh, the Muslim Journal. Uh, and all those who help to 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 make sure that those fifty two um, editions get out every every year. So thank you so much again. If I, I could just add one thing. People say, "Well, how do we help the journals? All you have to do is buy a subscription, and it'll be less than a cup of coffee a week. If you buy a subscription, you can do it at the same website www.muslimjournal.net, and uh, subscribers will keep this Muslim Journal alive for years to come. Indeed. I mean, all right. Thank you once again. All right, family. We have come to the end of another edition of Radio Islam. We thank you for tuning in and we thank our engineers over at WCEV for making sure we come through loud and clear. I'm your host, producer and engineer. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. We remind you that the views expressed by the hosts and or guests are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of sound vision. With that, we're going to leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. <laughs>